It's going on 20 years ago now that my parents dropped me off for the very first time at Murray State. And, and I'll never forget that particular day when I moved into 303 Franklin Hall. And it was bad then, and from what I understand, it's so bad now they're going to tear it down and start over again. But I moved into Franklin, and my parents dropped me off that day. And, and for my family, that was a radical departure from what was the norm. Most of the folks in my family either didn't go to college or went for a couple of years and and it pretty well stayed local there in Louisville. And so for me to go away to college with a four-year commitment to play baseball was very different. It was something that was tough on the whole family. And I, I, I remember getting a message from my mom a week or so after they dropped me off. And, of course, my dad had held it together pretty well until they drove off, you know. And, and it was tough. It was hard. And, you know, one of the things that I remember learning early on was that, you know, if you're going to go away to school, you've got to make wherever you are your new home. That's what you have to do. You have to move in. You have to leave home. And I saw people that that they came to school from somewhere else, and then they went home every weekend. And I just want to say, you're, you're doing it wrong. This is not the way you're supposed to do it. They would go home on Thursday night because they didn't have class on Friday and not come back until Monday morning, and you're here for three days. And I thought, why in the world would you not just stay at home? It doesn't matter. It doesn't make any sense. And, and yet I, I, I realized that maybe they, were, maybe they were told something and they realized something else when they got there, that, you know, leaving home isn't always easy. You know, all the orientations, the summer O and the great beginnings and all of that stuff, and some of you have been through that, and some of you have been counselors for that, and some of you have have worked those things. What you tell college students when they're getting ready to leave home is how cool and easy this is going to be. It's going to be incredible. The greatest experience of your life, and then they have to eat college food. (laughs) They don't get mom's cooking anymore. They don't get grandma's cookies every time that they go to her house. They, they, they don't get that. They get whatever happens to be on the menu that day. And Orientation just told them how cool and easy it was going to be. And then they learned quick that going away from home isn't always cool and easy. Now, I would imagine that being from a college town, if you were to leave and go somewhere else besides Murray State, that that might even be more difficult than what I did. You know... I never even applied to the University of Louisville. I was going away to school, and my parents knew it, and that was fine. But, you know, you've got a great, awesome university here in your backyard. Why would you ever leave home to go somewhere else? And yet some of you have done that, and people didn't get it. Why would you want to, to, to go somewhere else? Why not just live at home and eat your parents' food? Why not just do that? People might think you're crazy for ever leaving Murray for any particular reason. And it's that mindset, it's the idea that I want to capture this morning, that that leaving home, if you can put yourself in that, maybe you've done it, maybe you're contemplating it, maybe you've got children who have been through it or going through it, it's that idea of how difficult it can be to leave home that I I think I I want to try to capture for us this morning. Kind of camp out there and we'll see in the scripture how this relates. The series that we're in is called Commit, and, and the reason that I, that I chose this particular series and these particular sermons, were, uh, it's, it's always for a reason. I try not just to preach random things at you for no particular reason. I don't think that's helpful. But I look at what's going on in our world, and particularly in our country today, and, and we, we are of the mindset as Americans now that, that it's okay to be a Christian so long as you can blend that with everything else and it doesn't really dominate your life and it doesn't cause you to stand against anybody else. And 
And so long as you can still get that to go along with whatever popular thinking might be at the time, Christianity is okay so long as it makes you a good, tolerant, just nice, benign kind of person. And yet that's not what the Scripture calls us to in any way. It really doesn't. I really believe that that we're in a time where we're being forced to decide what kind of commitment are we going to make to the Lord. And this morning you'll see really two different kinds that you can make. One that Jesus calls us to and one that's different from that. So it's the perfect time to look at the Scripture and and what really uh, are we being called to? What what, What does a commitment to Jesus actually look like? And I'll tell you this, it's not just about going to church. You know that. Maybe it's involved, but it's, it's not just about that. And so this series also sets us up for the remainder of this particular church year, which runs through next summer, because I, I think in order for us to learn how to serve and to go and to give and, and to lead our families and all the things that we'll talk about in upcoming series, we have to first nail down our commitment, both individually and then collectively as a church. What will you, what will I, and what will we be about in our commitment to the Lord? And so this is a setup. I'll just tell you, I'm setting you up for the rest of the year. All right, you ever wonder? Yes, I am. This is all loaded. It's got a purpose. I have an ulterior motive for everything in this sermon series. I want us to be able to commit so that when I talk in the next sermon series about serving, that we're already committed to the Lord and we say, absolutely, I'm ready to serve the Lord and other people no matter what it takes. I want us to to get to the point where we're so committed that when I preach a sermon series called Go, that we say, Lord, wherever you send me, I'll go. Even if that means I'm just going back to where I live to serve in a different way, Lord, that's what I'll do. And so then when I get to the first of the year and I preach a sermon series, I'll just let you know, called Give, it's coming. <laughs> Lowest attended ser- sermons of the year. <laughs> You're going to plant cross those off, go out of town. But when I preach those, those sermons on give, I want us to be so committed that when, when God puts on your heart how it is you're to apply that in your life, generosity and giving toward the Lord's mission that you just say, whatever, I'm already committed. So this has purpose. The, the context of, of what we're going to get to is, is, is that there were a lot of people we'll see in, in the book of Luke this morning who were following Jesus around. I mean, he, he's, he's reaching a popularity that was really at its pinnacle and lots of folks just flocking to him and, and Jesus turns to them and gives them some very difficult teaching. He, he stops them in their tracks. He lets them know what a commitment to him is going to be like, and it's going to be like leaving home and not looking back. And so my prayer for us individually, for you, for me, and for us together as Elm Grove Baptist Church is that we will have the kind of commitment that Jesus preached about in Luke chapter 14. If you've got a way to get to the Scripture, a Bible, or you've got the handout, or you've got a tablet or a smartphone, somehow... Help me and get to the scripture in Luke chapter 14. Luke 14, 25 to 35 is where we're going to look today. This is one of those scriptures that quite honestly we would just rather avoid. We'd, we'd like to pretend this one doesn't exist, that this really isn't what Jesus said, or well, that's not really what he meant. But when we start talking about the commitment that the Lord wants us to make, To me, this one has to be in any particular sermon series because Jesus put it to them. And hopefully I'll help you understand what he's talking about. Look with me, Luke chapter 14, verses 25 to 35. You'll see it on the screen as well. Now, great crowds were traveling with him. 
So he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, wanting to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, after he has laid the foundation and cannot finish it, all the onlookers will begin to make fun of him, saying, This man started to build and wasn't able to finish. Or what king, going to war against another king, will not first sit down and decide if if he is able with 10,000 to oppose the one who comes against him with 20,000? If not, while the other is still far off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. In the same way, therefore, every one of you who does not say goodbye to all his possessions cannot be my disciple. Now, salt is good, but if salt should lose its taste, how will it be made salty? It isn't fit for the soil or for the manure pile. They throw it out. Anyone who has has ears to hear should listen. So this morning, I, I pray that you've got ears to hear what God is saying to you, that you'll listen and you'll understand. Because here's the point that Jesus is making. Above all, and you'll see this at the bottom of the scripture there on your sheet. Above all, Jesus is letting the crowd know that that if following Jesus is cool and easy, you're doing it wrong. If following Jesus is cool and easy, you're doing it wrong. This is difficult for us to swallow. Because in America for years, centuries even, it's been cool and it's been easy to follow Jesus. It's been what everybody seems to do. But according to what Jesus said, if that's what we're settling for, if that's our quest, is to find a version of Christianity that's just cool and always easy, then we're doing it wrong. Verse 25, Jesus makes it very clear. He never meant it to be cool. It says, Now great crowds were traveling with him. What would you do at that point? Great crowds... We're just attracting all kinds of people. I'd sign them up for something. I mean, I'd ask them to give some money. I don't know what I'd do. I mean, I, you know, something. Let's get, let's get some buy-in. Let, let's really capitalize. Let's take this thing to the next level. Let's scale up. Let's see what we can do. Great crowds are traveling with him. And I love the next word. So, he turned and said to them, It's because the great crowds were traveling with him. And Jesus is going to let them know real quick, look, if you think this is going to be cool just because you see me heal a lot of people, just because you see me do miracles, just because I'm giving you some teaching that you really resonate with, guess what? This ain't about being cool. This isn't about the party. This isn't about the popularity. Jesus thinned the crowd on purpose. He wanted them to know what true commitment was like. And and I'll say this, that... That even preaching a sermon like this, I realize that for some, you're going to say, I don't ever want to hear that guy talk again. (laughs) He's weird. Man, I came to church, I was looking to feel a little better today. I just, I had a bad week, I thought you'd pep me up. Well, I hope that when you get to know the Lord, that that'll be enough for you. And it's only through commitment that's not always cool and easy. They're all welcome. He says, if anyone comes with me, that's, that's fine, but... But he said, you're not going to follow me because it's cool, because of the miracles. You're doing it wrong, he says, if that's your your deal. And he never intended it to be easy either. I mean, none of what he addressed them. He turns to them and this crowd, it's almost almost as if here's here's the rock star, here's the guy, and they're all just waiting for him to have something to say directly to them. And he turns to them and he tells them, you've got to hate your family and yourself. 
He, he turns to them and gives them a very difficult teaching, and he, he would let them know very quick that following him would never be easy. Now, that's not the way to build a following. It, it's not the way that you go about it, but you understand Jesus was looking for commitment, not popularity. He's still looking for the same thing. He goes back to the idea of bandwagon Christianity to a lot of, uh, to a certain extent, because we, we looked at that a couple of weeks ago. And, and the truth is, if your version of Christianity is always just cool and easy, then odds are you're doing it wrong. Jesus, in these verses, gives us a different way to think about it. How should we instead think about our commitment to the Lord? How should we instead think about discipleship? According to what Jesus says, first of all, we've got to think about it as if there are no strings attached. No strings attached. Look at verse 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. The word that he uses there is, is hate. And, and in Jewish terminology during the time, it's really more of a kind of a play on words. It's, it, it would really, it would, it would say to them, You've got to love those things less than me. Now, you've probably have heard that before in the interpretation of the Scripture, and that's exactly what it means. Jesus looks at them and says, if you want to follow me, if you want to understand what's involved, then all of the things and all of the people and everything you hold most dear in your life has to take a back seat to what I'm going to do in your life. He says, it's got to appear as if you don't like any of those things except me. And now, this in, in the context in which he spoke, it would have been very, very difficult. Some of us here, we, we, we don't have the kind of relationship with our parents or our brothers and sisters or even our spouses that, that they would have had during this time. Especially when you start talking about the, the immediate blood relation kind of things. And some of you have this, but, but he was going to tell them that those people who are your greatest responsibility and the people from whom you receive the greatest amount of joy, you'd better appear to hate them in light of loving me. It's a difficult teaching for them. He's saying that, that all other loves should diminish. He's actually demanding from them something that only God could demand. And that, just parenthetically, just so you know, that's because Jesus is God. He was no normal teacher. He was no just good man or nice guy. Jesus, God in human flesh, makes demands upon the people that only God can make. And he says, you better love me above everything else. No strings attached. No conditions. No looking back. No going home every weekend. Jesus must be the priority, he says. And if forced to choose between what your family wants and what Jesus wants, he says, Jesus has to win every single time. And some of these folks actually did give up family ties in order to follow Jesus. They were disowned. They were shunned. Now, now we in our society, we don't, we don't really face that here in America. I mean, you, you may, your parents may look at you a little weird, but they're probably not going to disown you because you're a Christian. In fact, they'll probably be happy in most cases, the folks that are represented here, most folks will be happy that you, you decided to go to church or you got saved or whatever, whatever it is, terminology that you might use. They'll probably be happy for you. So what about us? I mean, how do we apply this? This is always the, the difficult part. Because we can say, well, back then, yeah, they, they, that would have been real for them. Well, you know, for me, I mean, I, yeah, I love Jesus more. My parents are kind of on board with that. I mean, my family's good with me loving the Lord. How, how then do I apply those things? I, I think for me, when I consider what, what does this look like maybe in my own life and how can I help us understand, I think one of the ways we have to think about this is that, that our commitment to the Lord individually has to be willing to go way beyond what most and even the religious people in your family might think is normal and reasonable. 
No, we in America, and I, and I think this is one of the things that I've noticed in 11 years of ministry. We in America have a very dignified, very proper faith. Just, just it's serious. We're committed, but it's very dignified. It's, it's something that, that, well, if we, if we go a little bit further, people are going to kind of look at us a little bit strangely. They're going to think we're a little different. You realize that Jesus never called us to a dignified and proper faith? Never. Never. You realize that Jesus' own family thought he had lost his mind. Literally. They thought he was crazy. That's the kind of faith that the Lord calls us to. So maybe, maybe today the Lord just impresses on you that, you know what? <laughs> Maybe it's time to take a step past where your family is in their faith. Maybe it's time to follow the Lord in ways that your parents never did or weren't willing to or didn't know about. Maybe it's time to go beyond just the weekend and sort of a social event. A good friend of mine, I was texting back and forth with him last night. I said, tell me how you've done this. Tell me how it is that you've found this to be true, this idea of hating your own family in order to love Jesus and loving them so much less that it appears like hate or loving Jesus so much more that it appears like you hate your family. He said, well, he said, when I was going to college, he said, I, I had a family business that I could have just stayed home and taken over. His dad had run it and he was expected to. He was the oldest child. And he said, but instead I really knew that God was calling me into full-time ministry. And he said, I went 12 hours away to school, some small little Bible college. And he said, I've never been back home. I, I never did settle in back home again. He said, that was just God's call in my life. And he said, so I had to leave behind what was expected for me to take over. The truth is, is that when you begin to have a faith in Jesus that surpasses even your love for your family, it might appear as if you don't care about them. Because it's going to change everything about you. Parents, it will change how you raise your children. And your parents may wonder, why in the world are you doing that? We didn't raise you that way. You turned out okay. Oh, why, are you, why are you so serious about those things? I mean, what difference really does it make? I mean, you're kind of getting carried away here, aren't you? And you look at your parents and they're godly Christian people and you just say, maybe, I, I don't know, but I really feel like God is calling us to do this for our children in this way and you have to leave behind even the way that you were raised, even if it was good. You know, your vocation, what you do for a living might be different from what your family hoped you would do. I've battled that, I'll be honest with you. I think my grandmother was probably the only one who was praying for a preacher. And I'm not sure exactly why she was praying for a preacher, maybe just to say there was a preacher in the family, I don't know. But she told me when I was a teenager, she said, I'm praying there's a preacher in the family and you're it. <laughs> Thanks a lot. You know, my family, what they expected me to do was to be a high school baseball coach. I talk about baseball a lot. It's what God has helped me to minister to people through. And, I, you know, we'll talk about that a little bit in that Go series, how you can use the things that God has given you. But, you know, it was, in some ways, I think for, for certain people in my family, it's probably disappointing when I went into ministry. Not because they don't believe in what I'm doing, but because they knew that I might have to leave one day. And I did. But you know, I, I say that not to promote myself anyway, but at some point I, I had to come face to face with this, Lord, am I going to make a decision to follow you or am I just going to hang around my family? And those things sometimes can be competing interests. You know, your view of the world and your view of people might have to be different from your family's. That includes your concerns and the causes that you take up and 
the prejudices that you lay down, and all of those things. Where you live might have to change. Where you go to church, your ownership of your own faith and the decisions you make as a result of that, it may appear to your family as if you don't care about them anymore. And that's hard. But I want you to know that when you're doing those things out of a call of God on your life, that you can stand and say, Lord Jesus, I'm going to love you more than even my own family. Your commitment is a no-strings-attached one. He says, you've got to love me more than you even love your family and more than you even love your own life. And he was speaking literally in verse 26. It highlights the fact that he never taught that following him would be easy. In fact, for some of those people, it would cost them their lives. For the the disciples, as far as we know, it cost every one of their lives. Martyred for the cause of Christ. They might have to pay with their own lives because according to the Jews, following Jesus was blasphemy. According to the Roman government, following Jesus was treason because they wouldn't worship the emperor. So they faced it from two different places. What about us? How can we have a no strings attached to our own life? I believe it's when we lay down our preferences, when we lay down our comfort, our goals, our security, even our reputation, our schedules, our money, our plans, anything that could get in the way, we say, Lord Jesus, I'm not going to love those things more than I love you. And if, if you in my life and the call of God in my life alters my plans, then so be it. If you make a demand upon my comfort and it has to change, then so be it. And Jesus says, if you have any strings attached, he says the end of verse 26, he cannot be my disciple. You can't follow Jesus and hang on to everything that you want to at the same time. It's just impossible. Now imagine getting that for the first time from Jesus himself when all you came to see was a miracle. You're just excited, here's this great teacher, and he says that. No strings attached, he says. Secondly, he talks to them about giving a blank check to the Lord. Verse 27, Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Be willing, he says, to be treated like a criminal. That's what bearing the cross, taking up the cross would have signified. That you're a criminal, that you deserve to die. That you have died already. You're just marching to the place where they're going to crucify you. Amid this mob that's heaping insults and all these folks that are making fun of you, this public display of devotion even to the death, a daily identification, Jesus says, with the suffering and the surrender that he had to the Lord, death to ourselves, to our own plans and our ambitions, and a willingness to serve wherever he directs. He says, a blank check. You take up the cross no matter what it means. And he says also, that blank check means you've counted the cost. Look what he says in verse 28. Which of you wanting to build a tower doesn't first sit down and calculate the cost to see if if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, after he's laid the foundation and cannot finish, all the onlookers begin to make fun of him, saying, this man started to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, he says, going to war against another king, will not first sit down and decide if he is able with 10,000 to oppose the one who comes against him with 20,000? If not, while the other is still far off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. Jesus says, look, Step back and evaluate whether you want to make this commitment or not. Because it's going to be costly. There's going to be cost. There's going to be sacrifice. There's going to be dedication involved. And you need to make sure that you understand before you leave home what it's all about. 
You know, the gospel itself is free. Salvation is free. Jesus is not telling us here that in order to be saved, you must do all of these things. What he's saying is since you've received the free gift of salvation, now this life of discipleship that I've called you to, guess what? It's a costly one. It's after the fact. Receiving salvation simply comes through faith in Jesus Christ, that He is the Son of God, that He did come to save you, a sinner, from your sin and certain wrath from God and punishment eternal in heaven, and that only by faith in Him, His death and His resurrection, can you receive eternal life and forgiveness of your sin. That's the gospel. That's the essence of salvation. That's free. And the commitment afterward, however, is costly. Jesus says, you better back up. Take a look at what you want to build. Take a look at the war you want to fight and decide, am I up for this? Is this a commitment I'm willing to make? And he says, once you make that decision, then it's a blank check. Whatever the cost, Lord, you fill it in. You ever given somebody a blank check? You know how we joke about that? Well, you just fill it in later on. And you kind of joke, well, uh, you know, don't go above this. You know, you give your kids a check to take to school and you're not sure the amount of the fundraiser. And, you know, they could do anything they wanted to with that check. It's the same idea. You know, that that when we present ourselves to the Lord and we say, God, I I know it's going to (laughs) cost, and I know there's going to be sacrifice, but Lord, you got a blank check. You fill in whatever the cost, because it doesn't matter to me. That's what he's asking. It's a tough road. It's a costly. When you realize that, that we live in an era now in America where your commitment to Christ and your convictions based upon that commitment are going to start to cost you. It's not going to be cool and easy anymore. It's not. Now, I don't mean to scare you, because that, that bothers me as well. If you're bothered by that, then, then we can all stand here together. It bothers me. I don't like that. It makes me uncomfortable. I wish it weren't the case. But it's almost as if Jesus has turned to us and just said, you're going to commit or not? There's going to be a cost to it. It's not going to be cool and easy, Christian America anymore. It's not going to be that way. What are you going to do? No strings attached, a blank check, and then finally he talks about a whatever-it-takes kind of mentality. Verse 33, he, he gets to the part where he gives the third, he cannot be my disciple, and so this is the third, third point that he's making. He says, you've got you to leave behind your family if that's what's necessary. You, you've got to bear your own cross. He says also, in the same way, everyone who does not say goodbye to all his possessions cannot be my disciple. The words there, say goodbye, just mean to renounce ownership of something. To renounce your interest and your pursuit of something. To say, no, no, I'm not going for that anymore. Now my question for us this morning is, what if he really meant that? What if he, what if Jesus actually, what if he were serious? And what if when he turned to the crowd and he said, look, You've got to have no strings attached. Even if your family disowns you, even if they think you're crazy, you still need to follow me. If not, you can't be my disciple. You've got to to have this this idea that you're giving me a blank check, and regardless of the cost, you're going to follow me anyway. And whatever it takes, whatever is required of you, even if that means that you lose everything for the sake of Christ, that's what he wants. What if he's actually being serious? Christians, I think, especially those here in America, we we think that Jesus really, he said that to somebody else. He didn't really calling us to have that kind of mentality. That we say, it doesn't matter, Lord, I'm renouncing ownership of all of it. I'm willing to lay it all down. 
We think that teaching is for somebody else. We just assume naturally that the blessings of God that come tangibly and financially and materially in our lives are for us to enjoy and to consume. And if you've bought into that mentality, I have too. And yet Jesus makes it clear that maybe that's not the case. What if this morning, maybe God puts on your heart that He really does want you to reduce your expenses so that you can give more and serve more and go more. And my prayer is that, that somebody here will be impressed. Not so that the church can have more money. We don't need more money. We need to be more on board with what God is doing in His kingdom. And that's going to require money. We'll give toward it and we'll go and we'll serve. This isn't about padding the church's bank account or mine. The same friend I was telling you about earlier that went to college 12 hours away from home. Recently, he, he decided that even though he's working in a pretty good job and he's making nearly six figures and they can afford a lot of different things, that they got rid of a car that they could afford. They were making the payments just fine. It wasn't sinking them. And they, down, they downsized, if you will. They scaled back on their car, got something that was free and clear so that, in, in, his, in his words, so that we could just be more on board with what God wanted to do with our stuff and our money. And I don't say that to anybody in particular because I have to say it to myself as well. But what if God this morning really does want us to maybe reduce our expenses and to cut back in some areas so that we can give more and serve more and go more? What, what if God would put on your heart this morning that you're just working way too many hours and it's keeping you from being about His business and you're caught up in all of those other things and it's getting in the way of you serving the Lord or leading your family? The question comes back, is, is Jesus really serious about this? I think He is. I don't think He would have said it if He weren't serious, that we need to have the attitude, whatever it takes, even if it's my stuff, even if I have to reduce, even if I have to scale back, I'm going to serve the Lord. I'm going to be intentional about those things. The question comes down to, do I trust Him to take care of me? Am I managing His money and His stuff his way. When Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, you've got to renounce ownership and claim on everything. He's telling us, look, I own it all. I'm in charge. If you're going to follow me, I'm in charge of everything, even what you make and what you have. That's hard, isn't it? You might think I'm preaching at you. Really not. I tell you all the time, we just set up a mirror right here. You don't even have to be here. I'll preach the same sermon and look at myself the same way you're looking at me right now. The reason that he holds up this kind of commitment comes in verse 34. When he lets us know that any other way of quote-unquote following Jesus is useless. Look at verse 34. Now salt is good. He says it's useful. But if salt should lose its taste, how will it be made salty? Basically he says it's useless. It isn't fit for the soil or even for the manure pile. They throw it out. Any other kind of commitment, he's saying, has no use whatsoever to God. A halfway commitment is, is no commitment at all. We've turned biblical faith, unfortunately, in many cases, in many individuals, in many churches, in many counties, in many states, in many countries around the world, we've turned it into a weekly event based upon our own preferences. It's designed to suit our needs and make us happy and let us be around our own kind of people and feel comfortable and get a little inspiration for the week if we feel like going. We give God the leftovers. 
And I'm not saying that just coming to church more is going to solve the problem. That's not it at all. But isn't it interesting how that's kind of what we've made our, our faith. is just a weekly event that we come to. We give God the leftovers and wonder why we don't have any spiritual power, why lives aren't changed, why, why we're not seeing great things happen for the kingdom of God. And maybe it's because we become the salt that's useless. God has moved on. Now I want you to know that any sacrifice you make in the service of the Lord, any sacrifice that you make in serving Him and being His disciple is absolutely worth it, 100%. It is only through that kind of commitment that you experience the fullness of God in your life, that you truly see Him work, that you receive the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's when all that stuff comes. So any sacrifice is worth it. Any commitment is worth it. And I'll say this, you receive more joy from seeing what your commitment used by God can do in the lives of others than anything you could accomplish or accumulate for yourself. Guaranteed. And so this morning, what's your version of Christianity? Is it a modernized, Americanized, cool and easy kind of version? Is that, is, is that what it is? Or, or is it the kind that Jesus taught? Where he says, no strings. Just give me a blank check. Whatever it takes. I wonder, wonder how many times we sing songs like, I surrender all. All to Jesus I surrender. All to Him I, I freely give. Or we sing songs like, I'd, I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold than men's applause. And in a moment we'll sing, I've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. Though none go with me, my cross I'll carry. I want to give you this morning the only thing that I'd like for you to do, leaving here and in this moment even to do now and, to leave, and leaving here doing, is simply to pray, Lord, lead me away from cool and easy faith. Lead me to the faith that I sing about. Lord, lead me away from cool and easy faith. Lead me to the faith that I sing about. We're not going to take another offer. I'm not going to ask you to sign up to serve and work in a nursery for the next 25 years. I'm not going to ask you to do that. We're not going to turn you upside down and shake whatever remaining changes in your pocket out. We're not going to do any of that stuff this morning. So this is not about you doing something that's going to make me or make this church happy. This is about you and the Lord. Lord, lead me away from cool and easy faith. Lead me to the faith that I sing about. Lord, what kind of commitment will I make this morning? And maybe you'd say, would you pray for me? I, I want to have a no strings attached. I want to give God a blank check. Whatever it takes, that's what I want to be about. Would you pray for me? Or maybe you need to pray by yourself or in your pew. And in just a second, you have an opportunity to do any of that. Don't leave this morning without praying, Lord, lead me away from cool and easy faith. Lead me to the faith that I sing about. And maybe as we stand in just a moment and we sing, I have decided to follow Jesus, maybe it'll take on new meaning for you. I sure pray that it does in my life and in yours and in the life of this church. It's not an easy one this morning. And if, you're, if you've liked our Facebook page and you're on our email list and so on, I kind of warned you this week, this will be a tough one. 
I don't really like it much either. But it's true. And it's right. And it's best for the Lord and His glory, and it's best for us in our service to Him. Lord, lead me away from cool and easy faith. Lead me to the faith that I sing about. Let's pray together. I wonder this morning what decision you need to make. You may be face-to-face for the first time realizing that, that you truly are a sinner in need of God's forgiveness. The Bible tells us that we've all sinned, we've all messed up, we all come short of God's standard of perfection, and that only through Jesus, the perfect Son of God, can we be forgiven completely cleansed from our sin and released from its power and released from its penalty and be given new and eternal life. That's received through faith, through surrender to the Lord. Or maybe this morning you say, you know what, I've got to move away. I've got to move past this cool and easy faith. And that's my commitment. That's my prayer. You've got all kinds of time there at your pew. You're more than welcome to come down front and pray. You don't have to, but you're more than welcome. I'd be happy to pray for you, young or old or somewhere in between, to say, today is the day where I'm moving past it. Lord, lead me to the faith that we sing about. Heavenly Father, that's our prayer. No strings attached, a blank check, whatever it takes, Lord, let that be our commitment today. Individually, And as Elm Grove Baptist Church, lead us to that kind of faith that we sing about. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.